I'm giving out thank yous galore before the show starts. First, thank you to my Patreon supporters who are helping me fund this podcast and my second new podcast called Engineering Word of the Day. Thanks to the awesome listeners who already wrote reviews on both of my podcasts. Thank you to the people buying my book, Engineer's Guide to Improv and Art Games. And thank you to those signing up to beta test software for me. If you too enjoy this Las Vegas buffet of projects that I'm doing in my independent studio, Pios Labs, then be an awesome person and donate a bit on www.patreon.com slash Labs. Maybe I can keep on doing this thing I call work a little bit longer if you do. Y'all are the best. It's June 5th, 2017, and this is the K-12 Engineering Education Podcast. Dr. Alex Mejia is an engineer and a professor at San Angelo State University in Texas. And very soon, this August, he'll be a professor at the Shiley Marcos School of Engineering at the University of San Diego in California. Dr. Mejia does research on how to teach engineering better to young students who are underrepresented in engineering in the U.S. today, especially Hispanic populations. I'm your host, Pius. When I spoke to Dr. Mejia, I started by asking him to introduce himself. Well, my name is Joel Alejandro Mejia. I go by, by Alex, and there's actually a funny story about that. Um, when I moved to the United States, I was born in California, but I lived in Mexico for a long time. And when I moved back to the United States, my teachers kept calling me, kept saying, Joel, Joel, Joel. <laughs> and I did not know that they were talking to me, that they were referring to me. And so eventually, um, because a lot of people called, started calling me Alex, that's kind of like, you know, what most people call me now, Alex. And so um, so I received my Bachelor of Science in Metallurgical Engineering and Materials, uh, and Materials Engineering from the University of Texas at El Paso. Uh, my master's in metallurgical engineering from Utah and my PhD in engineering education from um, from Utah State. And so prior to working as an assistant professor here at Angelo State, um, I also worked at Tinker Air Force Base in Oklahoma City and for F.L. Schmidt Minerals as a materials engineer um, for that company. Uh, currently, like you said, like you mentioned, I'm an assistant professor of engineering at Angelo State University and the Department of Engineering. We have a newly created program in civil engineering. And I currently teach mostly undergraduate courses. So these courses are the building blocks pretty much for all of those students pursuing degrees in engineering and civil engineering. Hmm. These courses include statics, dynamics, mechanics of materials, engineering graphics, introduction to engineering. And I also do some research. Um, my current research focuses on how Latino adolescents use engineering design processes to solve community-based projects and how their um, household bodies of knowledge and social practices, or what it's also called um, funds of knowledge, uh, connect to engineering. The goal of my research is to develop a model for culturally responsive engineering education that views um, students' linguistic and cultural backgrounds as assets rather than than deficits. Mm. And the, the other goal is to pretty much co- connect those backgrounds to engineering design processes to make it more engaging for, for Latino students. I'm also particularly interested in engineering literacy and equity-oriented instructional strategies that support engineering literacy in the classroom. And so, 
part of what I do is providing outreach in our area, working with elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, trying just trying to get more students involved in engineering and yeah, showing them just what engineering is all about. Well, so since you've been all around the country, uh -huh. can you describe, first of all, Angelo State University and, and how that place is unique compared to the other places you've been? Yeah, so uh, first of all, it is a Hispanic-serving institution. It was recently designated as a Hispanic-serving institution, which means that at least we have uh, higher than 25% of our students are Hispanic. And it's uh, it's a primarily teaching institution, so um, so we focus a lot on the on the teaching, trying to get our students graduated, learning the concepts. Um, there's a lot of emphasis on trying to bring different, I would say, practices, teaching practices into the into the classroom. So in that sense, it's a little bit different from the other institutions where I've been, just because they're more research oriented, and that's not the case. Mm here we do some research here for sure but the uh but the focus is definitely on the on the teaching and why is why is that important why is it important to focus on for example hispanic serving institutions or just minorities in general when it comes to stem education well i think it's it's very important i mean the the number of of minorities that get degrees in engineering, and I'm going to talk just in terms of engineering. Mm -hmm. um, when compared to the general population, data shows that minorities do not get as many degrees in engineering. So they're definitely underrepresented. Uh, so if you look at the percentage of Latinos, for example, in the in the United States, the number of people that have degrees in engineering does not it's not representative of the total population. So that means we're they're underrepresented. Right, we definitely need more more Latinos in engineering. So I always give this example to my students in in my courses. Imagine that um, someone is going to make something for you, right? And engineering is given the task of giving something to your community, for example. And you're not at the table when all of those decisions are made. Do you think that you're going to like what those engineers decided to do for your community? You know, so there are times when actually you have to um, you have to consider those things, the diversity in engineering. Um, how does that affect how engineers work? Who gets invited to the table? Who makes those decisions? So all of that is very important. So uh, that's one of the reasons why I see it's important to focus on, um, you know, different diversity initiatives and broadening the participation of of Latinos in, in engineering. And you're an example of a Latino who went into engineering and got lots of experience in engineering. What was your experience like? Did you did you face some challenges growing up? <laughs> um, <laughs> you, I hear you laughing. So yeah. Yes. <laughs> I don't know so, if you yeah. want to talk about that, but I, I'm curious if if you want to briefly discuss that. Yes, um, I, I can talk about that. So. Yes, um, that's one of the main reasons why I do the type of research that I do. I think when I was in high school, I like I, like I mentioned, I, I lived in Mexico for a long time. I moved yeah. to the United States I, when I was fifteen years old, yeah. and um, and I was in the ESL program in my high school, and um, it was very frustrating. It was very frustrating that just because I was in the ESL program. I could not take more advanced courses in mathematics 
or in science that I was pretty much put into this box, right? Where being an ESL student, learning English, you know, put, put me apart from other students pretty much, right? right. Um, I would ask people, how do you apply for colleges? Because I had no idea. I had no idea how to apply for a college. I didn't, I didn't know how to apply for scholarships. So I wanted to know, I wanted to learn so I could actually go to college. And I had people telling me, well, maybe you should go or look into this school, a vocational school, right? Or a technical school rather than going into an engineering school. Hmm. And so, so yeah, there were several challenges. Um, there's also that idea that because I was just learning English that I couldn't really perform well in mathematics, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so some of those challenges are the same challenges that I've seen. Um, they're, they're the same challenges that a lot of the students that I work with also face nowadays. And I mean, and I graduated from high school in a long time ago, right. <laughs> you know? Right. And so, so it's, so it's, it's sad that yeah. even after all those years, all of that still happens in um, in our schools. Yeah, are there any positive changes that have happened since then? Since you've been doing the research? Oh, definitely, definitely. I think that my uh, with the research and working with Latinos, with other underrepresented students, um, showing them that you know what they bring into the classroom is important, that it's relevant, that it is valuable. I think it makes a lot of difference for a lot of, of the students. There's that need for for the students to see themselves and their families in the curriculum. You know, mm-hmm. I think that it has made a change in that in that in that sense. They also see that the knowledge that they bring into the classroom is important. They see that their knowledge that they bring into the classroom is as important as the knowledge that the teacher brings into the classroom. You know. And they see themselves as engineers. They start to perceive themselves as, you know, people who can do all of those things. Um, I've seen, especially with with girls, Latinas in in engineering, who start thinking about engineering in more broader terms. They start to, um, you know, seeing themselves in, in engineering. And I think that's very important because it's not just the, the fact that Latinos are underrepresented, but women are also underrepresented in, in engineering. And so so I think it's important that all of them see that. And, and I think that for me, that's the positive. That's the positive thing that has happened um, since I've been doing this, this type of work. Can you talk more about the details of that research? You mentioned researching funds of knowledge. If, if you had to explain that to a random K-12 teacher, uh-huh. what does that mean? So funds of knowledge pretty much comes from this um, this idea, this theory that that says that students that students at, at home they learn different things, and it's not just random things. So yeah. uh, they're the cultural resources and skills that the students have accumulated historically and culturally. They're specific stra- strategic bodies of essential information that. In their household, they need to maintain their their well-being. So, for example, some of the funds of knowledge described by some some authors in different research include things like um, knowledge related to building, to carpentry, to folk medicine, to mining, water management, household maintenance, 
and many other types of knowledge that are required for, for survival, right? And so those funds of knowledge are very it's it's a it's a set of complex knowledge and skills, right, that they that they need in their in their families. Um, you know, to survive for their well being, right? Yeah. It also includes different beliefs, different values, different ideologies gained through social and cultural practices. And the idea is that the knowledge should be valued in the classroom. That knowledge should be valued in the classroom. And that us as instructors should be able to make connections between what we're trying to teach in the classroom and the knowledge that they already bring. So pretty much building on the knowledge that they already have. But at the same time, it's also validating for the student because you're valuing what the student is bringing from the home to the classroom. And so in the engineering classroom, especially in K-12, how can a teacher value their students' f different funds of knowledge? In this, uh, I guess, theoretical framework, it is very important that the teacher learns more about the students, you know, mm -hmm. that they take the time to learn about the students, that they take the time to learn what, what are some of their interests, what are some of the things that they do at home, uh, kind of embracing embracing their ways of knowing their ways of being their ways of doing right and then using that in their classroom um so one way to do this for example and this is what i've told to a lot of different um, teachers is what you can do is give provide a survey at the beginning of the year where you learn a little bit more about the the students funds of knowledge mm -hmm. you know about their parents their what they do at home, what are right. some of their interests, all of that. And then use that as a way to frame different engineering uh, challenges, right? So um, one example is, let's say I give a, a survey to my students at the beginning of the year. And I ask them questions about, you know, what do your parents do uh, for work? Uh, what are some of the chores that you do at, at home when you go, you know, when you get back from, from school? I ask, you ask those questions, and then the students can provide you with different information. And then you're going to gather all of that information. And one way to frame simple engineering problems is, for example, if the students talk about a specific setting, let's say their neighborhood, and specific characters like their mom, their dad, brothers, sisters, even if they have like a little pet, like a dog or a cat, right? <laughs> and then you ask them also about potential so, uh, potential problems in, in their communities. So like, for example, some kids might say, might talk about uh, how homes are too expensive or how in the winter the homes get really cold mm -hmm. or um, the animals don't have a shelter or things like that. Then after that, you can use all of that information to create specific problems that capture all of that. Right, all of those different settings, characters, potential problems, uh, and then you can ask the, the students. Um, you know, how would you redesign an expensive home for your, let's say, your grandma, uh, with afford affordable materials found in your community? Or another way is uh, design a way for your, I don't know, your uncle's home to be warm during the winter months using this specific materials, or how might we help your 
your mom collect rainwater to be used for domestic purposes, right? Mm -hmm. So that way you're using all of the information that they're familiar with and then uh, you're framing an engineering problem for the students and that way the students get to interact with their families at home. They can bring all of that knowledge to provide solutions to that problem. So it's a, it's a way to motivate the students to help them build on the knowledge that they already bring from home and all of that. And it, it sounded like you did research on that method of teaching specifically with uh, Latino students. Mm -hmm. How did that work out? What did the results of that study show? I was really happy about this, this, um, this work. And something that we found is that, uh, is that Latinos have a wealth of knowledge, uh, Latino students, coming from low-income families, have a wealth of knowledge that they use constantly to solve engineering problems. I think that that was the main, um, the key point from the research. Another thing that we noticed was that the students didn't have an idea of what engineering was all about. And they started to see themselves in engineering. They started to see themselves as engineers. Mm. They started to see themselves as able and capable of doing things that they sometimes maybe would have thought um, they were not, they could not do at all, you know? Right. Uh, personally, um, something that I was able to provide with my research is kind of challenging this idea, this deficit thinking model in schools that a lot of Latino students are just going to end up in the you know, out of the pipeline or in specific pipelines, and they're not going to, um, or it's going to be difficult for them to actually go to college and graduate and all that. So I'm sure that there are a lot of teachers who would love to implement this style of teaching, especially if it encourages their students to pursue engineering more. Are there any challenges that they should be aware of if they want to try to do this? <laughs> any tips you can give them? I don't know. So I think that... Um, at least with the teachers that I worked, the first thing that they say is it's, it's time consuming and it is hard because I'm not an engineer. Right. Okay. And, uh, I would say my, my advice is it's not as hard as it seems. You don't have to be an engineer to understand or to learn more about your students. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. it takes practice. It definitely takes practice. Um, uh, but it's doable. And, if you're able to frame a good problem for your students, I think that their results are going to be extraordinary, right? Um, with some of the teachers, like I said, that I talked to, some of them actually say, well, I have to, um, I have to align this to my standards, right? Or the state standards or the next generation science standards. And there are ways to do it. You know, um, I've tried to help teachers to align what they're trying to do to the next generation science standards with really great, really, really good results. Um, and for those teachers who feel like maybe they need a little bit more, uh, more training or I guess more professional development and learning how to do that. There's a lot of different resources in online that they can definitely approach. Uh, one of them is, um, and I don't know, if, I'm sure a lot of the teachers are familiar with this, Engineering is Elementary. Another one is teachengineering.org. And they will find a lot of different lesson plans, different um, activities. 
And those activities actually tell you how they align um, their objectives with the um, next generation science standards or state standards. But uh, so, so I would say uh, one one tip is to look at some of those materials, see yeah. how they um, they did those uh, you know their um, their engineering challenges based on that material. Um, and again, it's it's just practice. Getting to learn, getting to know your students, I think it's the the most important thing. Once you start to learning how to get to know your students and gaining the trust of your students, I think that the rest comes really easy. So that advice sounds like that applies to more than just Latinos and Latinas. That could apply to any population, it sounds like. Oh, definitely. Yes, okay. yes, yes. I think that that's, that goes for all students <laughs> and for all, not just K-12, but even right. for, yeah. for the college level. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, I would assume that at the college level, it can maybe even more challenging because you're trying to get to know more kids. I don't know how big mm-hmm. your classes are, but... So you mentioned deficit-based thinking and explained your personal experience with that. I was just wondering, maybe some teachers are succumbing to deficit-based thinking without them even knowing it, because mm-hmm. we all we already hear about maybe implicit bias or just uh, things that we aren't aware of. How can an educator recognize if they are doing their kids a disservice by by believing in deficit-based thinking and how can they overcome that? Um, so I think that, um, I think that by learning from the students' knowledges or their, their knowledge resources, mm-hmm. their ways of knowing, their worldviews, I think the teachers have an opportunity to promote learning in ways that are meaningful and relevant and that's what is going to challenge their deficit, their own deficit thinking. You know, I don't know if you've heard of culturally responsive um, education, but that's pretty much the the idea behind that. You know, get to know your students so that you can challenge your own biases, mm-hmm. that, so you can challenge those deficit thinkings. I think that um, eventually, through a lot of reflection, I think that reflection is very important for teachers. Um, and I think that eventually you will recognize it. You have a sense about it. You know, when you're saying something that it's not right or when you're making assumptions about your students, I think that that's why reflection is so important uh, for a lot of, of teachers. Um, and, and I think that eventually you start to getting a, a sense of it. And that's how you recognize it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Alex, thank you for the insights. How can someone find more information about what you do if they're interested and about your research yeah so a lot of what i do you can go to obviously the the website the angela state website look for the department of engineering that's where um i have a lot of my cv is there i have a lot of different um publications that i've worked on um so you can find that and also uh one of the works that or one of the books that i worked on um, it's called Qualitative Research in STEM. And there's a, a whole chapter that talks about um, fonts of knowledge and working with Latino students. So a lot of the research that I've done, and obviously they can definitely contact me if they can, like I said, they can find my information online. Okay. Contact me, yes. Yeah, thank you so much for talking. If you want to find out more about Dr. Alex Mejia's work, 
his book of research, or other resources he mentioned today. Links to them are up on this episode's show notes. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review the show on iTunes or Stitcher. Follow the show on Twitter at K12Engineering or follow me at Pius Wong. Learn more about the show on Facebook, Reddit, and many other places. And you can also send me an email. Find all these details at www.k12engineering.net. Our closing music is from Late for School by Bleep Tour under a Creative Commons attribution license. The K-12 Engineering Education Podcast is a production of my independent studio, Pios Labs, and you can support me and my studio at www.patreon.com slash pioslabs. Post-show notes for today's episode. First of all, I got a few words for you. Iterate, brainwriting, Ronskian, eutectic, and sui. These are all engineering-related words or terms or phrases or jargon, and uh, they are the first words that I put up on the Engineering Word of the Day podcast, a new podcast by yours truly. You can check out the details at engineeringwordoftheday.com. Or just find Engineering Word of the Day as a podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And let me know what you think. Uh, Also, second point, that guidebook that I wrote on how to apply improv comedy training games into engineering is always up on Amazon.com in print or other Amazon websites, as we heard in previous podcasts in other parts of the world. It's also up as an ebook on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and a bunch of other booksellers. Whether you're a working engineer or a teacher, check it out for a good reference on how to apply these fun games to your profession. And on that same topic, the third point that I wanted to announce is that I have just uh, drafted, with the help of some partners, some colleagues, I've just drafted a website called improvpd.com, improvpd.com, and you can check it out right away. It stands for Improv Professional Development. And so basically, uh, as an extension to what I've already been doing with my studio, Pios Labs, I'm now offering in Central Texas right now specifically, professional development trainings and workshops related to applying improv to your work. So this is an experimental program. Um, it It is something that we're newly offering. So contact me if you're interested and let me know what you think. This is a new venture. They say to fail fast, and that's what we will do if this doesn't work out. I would prefer to steadily succeed. I'll keep you updated on the progress.